everybody. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to the Game Dev Breakdown podcast. Tonight, we are talking to my friend Ray Merrick, who we've had on the show before. He uh, was previously working with Apogee Comics, but now he's working with a new indie label called Unparalleled Comics. He's going to talk to us about his creative process, the process of writing universes and characters, things you can apply to your game development, and other creative pursuits right away. Ray's a really fun guy to talk to, so uh, hang out, enjoy, and uh, here's my chat with Ray. You've got like one corner of your beard sticking out. Like, <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, there Hold you on, go. I'm going to go look in the mirror. <laughs> it's just up to that, you. That's the problem corner, that's funny. <laughs> Aside from moosing it, I think this is the best I'm going to do. <laughs> it's, I, should, I shouldn't have mentioned it. No, sometimes they hit my shoulder and my beard and it flares it out. That's so, funny. It's stupid. I hate it. I, now I feel like I need to shave it tonight. No, no. Not for, not for my sake. For, for mankind's sake. <laughs> they have to, people have to see me every day. You want to do it? Let's, let's, let's go. Okay, Ray Merrick, how you doing, buddy? I'm good as always. As always. It's always good. Yeah. Thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on this podcast, and you are working with, you're now listed as an owner and founder of Unparalleled Comics, which is a new label. And uh, yes. so I thought it'd be fun to talk to you about what's going on with that. And I've got a couple of ideas about how what you do helps uh, people who listen to this show do what they do. And all will be revealed, but uh, there goes my watch. Yes. <laughs> Oh, let me throw this in a well. Synchronize that thing. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> how have things been? You Pretty good, up and down, all around, you know. Yeah. Hitting the books, if, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. That's, that's literal, too. Books are good. Well, comic books, but... <laughs> well, that's your line of work. I was trying to remember when exactly I had you on this podcast last, but I know that you were working with uh, Apogee at the time. So yeah. how it was about a year ago, actually, because it said the last time I called you on Skype was like a year ago. Yeah, so for anyone who's been following along the whole time, what brought us from that point to this point? Uh, with Apogee? Um... <laughs> yeah, now, and I mean, <laughs> just you know, the answer we wanted to branch out and do our own thing is totally fine, but... Uh... Yeah, we wanted to branch out, do our own thing. Uh, <laughs> Message received. Have, have, a, have a couple different, uh, you know, uh, stories we'd like to tell uh, that just didn't work with Apogee. And uh, I still actually write for Apogee, so it's not, not really a bad thing. Um, I didn't realize just, that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, I signed a contract to write, uh, I think, four total issues of a comic called The Phantom Hawk. Yeah. And uh, at least five of the Crimson Guardians, which is the one I was promoting this time last year. Um, so, yeah, it's all good. Um, I'm, I'm still going to be writing for Apogee. It's just there's my own IPs that I want to work on and start doing my own label. I mean, originally, I was when I was with Apogee, I was going to uh, take one comic and publish it for nightfall comics because that that's just an itch i still need to scratch mm -hmm. but uh it turns out that uh jay sloan uh, who's a good friend of mine it came along with me and we're gonna gonna try to do this thing we're gonna, we're gonna do it st louis style oh, whatever snap. that means yeah 
Well, well, that's super cool. And there are a couple of things we didn't talk about last time, which I think might have served uh, this audience a little bit better. And one was because of sort of the parallel between indie comics and indie games. Tell me a little bit about how you decided to go it alone in comics and not alone alone, but you know, without devoting your, your whole time and energy to working with a bigger label or working for somebody else. Uh, well, I mean, the major publishers are great. Honestly, getting into one of the bigger ones like Marvel or DC is almost impossible. You have to know people, you have to be in the business for years and years, but that's, you know, you could uh, go down the other road of submitting everything and hoping somebody sees your work, which that has happened. I've, I've uh, submitted to DC or not DC. I'm sorry, dark horse Mm -hmm. uh, twice. And they did see both projects. And uh, I actually got some constructive criticism from dark horse from the first one. And also the, the second one, the second one was a star Wars and they were losing the rights to star Wars and uh, yeah, to, to Marvel. And, you know, these, it was when Disney bought uh, Star Wars and Lucasfilm and all that. So, um, I mean, it sounded like I was on the right track with writing. And uh, I, I fell into some some friendships from, excuse me, some friendships with uh, indie creators. And after talking to a lot of the indie creators, the, the number one thing about publishing independently is you are not censored. And I don't mean censored as, you know, cursing, and, but, like, as far as an editor looking over your shoulder, shoulder editing everything, chopping your story up, you know, yeah. that's you're in complete control. You have 100% creative control over what is going to go out and what the people are going to see, which I really like. And, and sometimes in comics, you're writing exactly how many, how many pages it's supposed to be. Right. And, and you're like, you get to, you know, page 22, and you're like, well, that's it, the comic's done. And then somebody wants to come in and chop, hey, this page needs to go. It's like, oh, okay. With independent comics, that's that's the number one thing for me is having creative control over the story, creative control over who works on the book as far as artists because a lot of times uh, with uh, DC or Marvel, whoever, they just throw people on projects. And with me, I, I have a vision for the book, and I can hire whoever I want. You know, not whoever I want, whoever I can afford, but at the same time want to work on them if I have a certain vision. And, and uh, you know, the one one thing I like about indie, it's not it is cutthroat. But at the same time, I've met so many great people uh, that I've collaborated with. And indie indie period is, is it should be a community, not um, competition. I mean, we're in this together. I mean, you know, it's it, we're not the big companies yet you know let's just let's let's work together and try to try to you know bring people to comics that's the whole point i love that and that's a good answer and i th- I think anybody who looks at an episode like this and goes why does he have indie comic people on this podcast i think probably they will see right away with that answer because there's so many just direct parallels to yeah. the indie game scene uh it, so many of the exact same things, people who want to tell their own stories, create their own experience and not be assigned to, uh, you know, create new skins for cars and rocket league as, as fun as that might be, you know, they've, they've got their own vision or passion. Exactly. They've got the passion or in some cases they just never have the opportunity to, mm-hmm. uh, break into the industry any other way. And, uh, I, I would say I probably fit both. Uh, I, <laughs> at, at certain times in my life, I've tried very hard 
to get game studios to pay attention to me. Really, most of them are just in the wrong location. But doing yeah. my own thing, like now, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I personally, I don't think I would ever want to do it any other way now. I mean, could you see yourself reaching a certain point where you turned uh, Dark Horse's head again and said, okay, maybe I'll come in for an interview? Or, uh, I mean, there's a part of me that... that... And it's odd. Everybody wants to work for Marvel DC, but for some reason, and it's because I because I grew up reading Star Wars and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Conan. I did read Batman and stuff, but I've always wanted to work for Dark Horse. And honestly, if they if they came a call, and I probably wouldn't say yes. <laughs> Let's see how this works. But the thing is, if I did sign with Dark Horse to do a book, it's generally not one of those things where I would be working for them only. I could still do my indie game. It's like with Apogee. I mean, it's not a, I don't have an exclusive exclusive I can't say that word. <laughs> I'm not exclusive to writing for Apogee. I can do other things and so, you know, make you know, making books for Apogee one helps the indie game. Uh two, it it's going to help me in my uh ventures as far as comics go. But yeah, I don't know. If Dark Horse came a call and I might say Who's calling? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd lie. I'd, it's, it's a dream. You know, it's like it's one of those dreams. Like, I'm sure there's a studio that you'd want to work for eventually if they came calling. You might be. But indie is is probably the it's definitely a great way to go. And it and tons of people are doing it because they realize that this is the way to do it. Yeah. And I, and I could think of certain studios I would strongly consider doing some work with. And for those listening on the audio show, I'm pointing to my obsidian jacket. But, uh, <laughs> and, and it's one of those no wrong answer things, you know, yeah. it, it, like you said, there's, there's a version of, uh, there's a future where you could possibly be doing your own thing very successfully. And also, uh, if you could swing a project with one of your favorite companies, why not? Because the sky's the limit. And that's, that's kind of what we get into it for is options. We want those options. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, if, if this unparalleled comics thing works out the way, I envision it, you know, then there's no need for me to ever go to Dark Horse, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh... You'll, I mean, you'll take their people is what you'll do. Uh, yeah, because they'd be competition then. I know I just said something about competition, but, you know, <laughs> if we got to their level, it's no longer, you know, it's still independent technically, because Dark Horse is still technically independent, but, yeah. We'll just, we'll make friendly competition out of it. <laughs> Fun, hypothetical. So, yeah. uh, something I wanted to talk to you about was I wanted to pick your brain about sort of you you are a creator in the same way that anybody who decides they're going to create a game universe or write game characters like we have a lot of uh, similar processes and I wanted to sort of talk about your process if you sit down to create a new well we'll say you want to write a new book but for that book you decide you're going to create your own universe where other stories may uh, cross over and be part of the same uh, plane of existence I what what is the process that you go through when you decide what's what that's going to look like what it's going to be how how in depth do you get tell me about that well that's actually kind of what we're doing now with unparalleled I'd, not to give too much away so when i was trying to work for dark horse i wrote a star wars comic which you may remember uh talking me talking about back way yeah back you when. gave me the highlights of it and it sounded really cool yeah so um when Dark Horse was getting, or when Star Wars was getting absorbed by Marvel, um, one of their uh, editors, his name's Randy, he told me to, this is solid, take it, pull all the Star Wars elements out, 
and 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 you know, try to make it your own. Mm-hmm. And I took that advice very seriously, <laughs> and I did everything I could to take the Star Wars elements out of it. And I started building and building, and and so you know, like the Star Wars Galaxy is a science fiction book or a space opera. It's 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 a big universe. The Star Wars universe is a big universe, and. Jay Sloan and I, he's, he's, he's the same thing. He's got a, a book that he's been working on for years called Vagabond Blues. And it's, uh, it's a space opera. And we're taking mine and his and molding them together into one thing. And it's, we mapped out an entire galaxy. I, I need to show you the map sometime. It's out of control. Uh, you know me and maps. You love um, maps, yeah. I do love maps, but uh, it's it's we got we have a galaxy map. Each each map has a sun, or each system has a sun and planets revol- you know revolving around it. We we just sat there one night, and it was like we were twelve year old kids. I was laying on my stomach, just drawing little maps and stuff, <laughs> and going over characters and where they'd be, what they're doing. But it really, I mean, with me, it started out with the idea of writing a science fiction story and then I wanted to do star Wars, but then I had to take, go back and stop doing star Wars because it was illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, if I, if I ever wanted to see the light of day, I couldn't do star Wars, obviously unless it was fan fiction, but I, I didn't want to dabble into fan fiction. Nothing wrong with fan fiction. I just didn't want to do it. It's a lonely road. It, it kind of is. I mean, there's a place for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I uh, I started out with uh, a, a few core characters, a couple of ideas, and and just expanded on. And and the thing is, like, I would get into these modes of just trying to think like the characters and start writing out stories and adding people to it. And you know, what, you want to know how uh, this connects with gaming? I started building it like an RPG. Oh, nice. So, so like you have two, you have two characters, and they visit this place and add another character, and you know they, they, that's how I was building it. Think of Knights of the Old Republic, and I don't know if you if you ever got to play that one. Um, oh yeah. I, I'm just just trying to be you know. <laughs> yeah. Everybody should play that game anyway. Definitely. You, you know you start you start out with uh, with the main your your character and, and uh, Karth, and then you're on Terrace or not Terrace is it Terrace yeah Terrace. And then you you go on and you meet somebody else and you just keep building your party. Then you go off to another planet. And that's kind of where my story, how my story evolved was like being influenced heavily by RPGs and thinking, well, this would make, you know, a good formula for a comic, for a big comic. And uh, that's that's how that one went anyway. So it was a little bit quest driven, perhaps. I mean, I think with, with, with comics, with any story, you have to have a goal in mind. The, you know, there's always the, the hero's journey um, that you can look at, like, with uh, King Arthur or or uh, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, or Luke, Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. which was just messed up now. But, um, but yeah, you, so you're, you always have a goal in mind. And, and with everything, I think every story is a quest. Even your life is a quest. <laughs> Well, sure, <laughs> but but like you know, I mean, even even Operation Eclipse, my uh, my superhero story, it's there's it's a quest, you know. It's all about the journey of what happens within the the uh, the, the character's life. I mean, otherwise, what are they going to do? Yeah, you know, I I don't like the idea. This is one thing, like DC Comics back in the old Marvel comics, they used to do one shot comics where somebody robbed a bank, Batman comes in, saves the day, or whatever, Superman saves the day, and I'm very story driven. 
it's like playing a video game. If it doesn't, I can't play shooters where you just, you know, mindlessly shooting people, you know, King of the Hill or, or a team deathmatch and all this stuff. Yeah. I like story driven uh, games with a great narrative. Like Red Dead Two is 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 such a good game because it's got this great story, right. and it, it again it's a <laughs> it's a journey, it's an odyssey. Yeah, uh, you can start a comic with a basic idea and just build the story as it goes, and that's kind of where I am going. Ooh. Yeah, and you mentioned sort of the quote unquote hero's journey and and everything and. Our buddy Jamie Crock, who worked with us at Toys R Us and has sort of always been, he's never been too far away. He, he's been trying to make it in like TV script writing and stuff like that. And when he and I did some podcast work together, he sort of keyed me into uh, Dan Harmon, who wrote Community, has some really good resources online where he sort of lays out just that very basic, like the, the beats of the hero's journey and the steps that mm-hmm. the stories follow through. And, and he says, you know, no matter what your, your life story, the story of your friends, the story of what you did today, like everything loosely follows this uh, format. And it doesn't mean you're, you know, sort of cheating anything. It means it's just the formula that, that it always follows. And uh, John's mom, who was an English teacher told, <laughs> told us in high school, uh, she goes, oh yeah, everything follows this. You can read the Bible and the story of Jesus follows this to a T. And a bunch of people got sort of, sort of bristled at that. And no, it's it doesn't mean you know anything about your, your belief of that or whether or not you think it's likely to be true. It's just that it's a story and follows this pattern. Yes. And I, that's one, th- one takeaway for people who are listening. If, if you want to really start creating some story-driven experiences, start researching this like you were going to write a movie or a book or anything like that, and you'll, you'll pick up stuff like this right away. You should research everything that you're writing. I mean, I have two, two books next to my bed that I, I thumb through every night. I don't read them like, religiously, but like how to write comics the Marvel way and the DC way are sitting right next to my bed. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of them's by one of them by Stan Lee, and I mean they're great resources on how to tell a story if that's your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have great great character design, you might have some some decent ideas, but you know how to put it in a story. Pick up a book or read more comics, which yeah. is uh, is something that I do constantly. Uh, you know, I, I look at reading comics. I mean, other than getting the enjoyment out of reading them as research, I mean, I, I look at playing video games as research. You know especially with dialogue dialogue is one of the biggest problems people have writing and anything and and with video games nowadays i mean there's so much good dialogue that comes out of video games and these guys who write these guys and girls know how to write that's it yeah it's it's come a long way yeah people sort of people sort of joke about uh narrative designers having all this special emphasis in the game industry it's it's deserved yeah. and at the AAA level you've got to have people who really know what they're doing there think about the old days uh, resident evil the very first resident evil game right you know the the uh, the voice acting was so bad and and you know now resident evil 2 is getting a remake and i'm i'm assuming the voice acting is going to be way better and the dialogue is going to be so much better. It'd be a little bit just, funny if it wasn't better, but I'm sure it I would will be. love it if it was the if it was the old uh, the old stuff just with the new beautiful graphics. That'd be that might make people mad. But we should start a petition. Yeah. Dumb down the dialogue. <laughs> Dumb down the dialogue, big time. 
That's awesome. So, so tell me this. You've been writing uh, in this style for so long now in style. Mm. I, just, I just mean uh, comics and stories like this. Has that process changed and matured in some ways, or is it still pretty, pretty similar? No, it's pretty similar the way I write. Uh, it's weird, though. I, I, I still write on a notebook like the first draft I would write everything out hand handwrite and then type it into the computer um but whenever I now like I would go word for word now I type and add to it it's it's crazy cuz when it's hard to explain the way my mind works it's I'll get I'll get the idea a lot of times at work <laughs> I'll be working and I'll grab a piece of paper ah I got an idea yeah. but like when I script you know I I learned how to do this is this is a pro tip <laughs> <laughs> I read comic book scripts to learn how to write a, a script before I had picked up any book. Yeah. I looked at how it was formatted, and you've seen my scripts. Sure. Some of the older ones. They're a lot better now, I, I think. Uh, I flesh them out more. I'm a little bit more detail-oriented, and I work on the dialogue like nobody's business. Uh, so, But, you know, I, I, I looked for sample scripts from uh, certain, certain uh, writers like uh, – for uh, for the style of what I was writing for when I was trying to do Star Wars, I would look at writers like John Jackson Miller or uh, John Ostrander, and they're online. The scripts are out there; you can find them, or they're in the backs of some trade paperbacks. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would I would look for look at that and really kind of go off that. And you know what else I did? I reached out to them. They're on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, I mean, talking to John and talking to other writers. Period. Uh, there's a great guy in the indie world, his name is Brian Hawkins, who's got a Kickstarter going called Cornrows right now. This guy belongs in the big leagues. Continuously wonder why he is writing indie comics, but it must be for the reasons that we talked about before, about creative freedom and all the stuff we said before. And his scripts are so polished, his formatting. I mean, I'm learning from him, and I have to edit his scripts. How messed up is that? <laughs> well, life's not always fair. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I'm getting better uh, with, with I mean, every time you write a script, it should be better than the last one, if you ask me. When you, I'm, I'm script writing for, for comics, I look at it as if it was a movie. And you got to think about camera angles. And this is things I didn't think about before. I thought about it as just a panel. You write, you know, what's in, going on in the panel. But now... You know, you want you want to try to make everything dynamic, so you got to think about where you would want the camera showing what's happening in each panel. And I didn't think like that before, so I guess I am a little bit more polished than I why I should be. It's been like seven or eight years, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not. There's problems. Well, sure. Um, so that's a little bit of the the universe building uh, state of mind. Tell me, in comics, I mean, everything is so character focused. I mean, like compelling characters are basically everything in comics. So talk to me about like when in the process you start really focusing on character development and really character background. I mean, do you start with it right off the bat? How comfortable do you want to be with your characters before you start writing a story? Like how's it go for you? I think that's extremely important to, to focus on your main characters early, but they can grow within the story. So background, uh, attitude, temperament, all that stuff you you have to know going into writing the first issue with that character. But there's a thing called a character arc, of course. <laughs> uh, and, and your characters can change throughout the story, but you know, 
whenever you go into writing the character, it's super important to know the character almost like you know yourself, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I've spent, well, I mean, with uh, Operation Eclipse, I've spent 10 years with the character, and I know exactly everything I, there is to be, and there's nothing printed yet. And the same thing with the uh, the Star Wars. Uh, it's called Stellar Odyssey, by the way. Is the It's like Stellar Odyssey, you know, Vagabond Blues. Yep. But I've spent so much time with these characters and, and developing them, and they're not the same characters as they were when I first started writing them in 2010 or whenever it was. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they, characters evolve over the course of a story no matter what. I mean, even, except for Superman, he pretty much has never changed. <laughs> but, you know, characters evolve over the course of the story and, and, and over the course of pre-production. And that's important because you don't want to, the character is what's going to sell, well, partially what's going to sell the book. What's going to sell the book is going to be the cover and the interior art. The character is going to bring people back. Nice. So if, if the, yeah, if the character is no good, I mean, you're not going to sell any more comics. And, and that is one of the most important things is not just the main character, even the supporting characters, knowing everything about them. And, and really, and it's kind of hard to do it, but you kind of have to nail it on the first time they come out, you know, getting people to like them. Because if you don't, again, it's not going to go very well. But it, it's very important to, to play with the character for a while before just jumping into making a story. That is one area where comics are unique. You get to do all of this uh, pre-production and planning and writing, but you may be writing for that character for a long, long time, hopefully. you know. And once, once the public gets a glimpse of that character, certain things uh, probably best be locked into place. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, it's important in gaming too, where you may really only uh, expose that character once or twice, you know. But uh, for for yeah. comics, you have to really think long term about that. So you really do have to lock that character in mentally pretty well. So when I when I'm writing, the part of my process is thinking about the future, where I want to go with the story, and I, I think a story arc ahead, at least. Now with with some of my characters, I have, you know, like, you know, Eclipse, I have planned out, you know, for a long time. So I know the arc and, and you kind of can plan that and plan that and know where your character's going and kind of allude to what's ha- going to happen eventually. And, and I mean, I, there's so many different things you can do, but work with the character and try to figure out you need really with the character. If it's a main character, you got to know the character's arc already before, I think before page one, you should know what the character is going to be, where he's going to go, uh, throughout the story because Mm. you don't want to get lost. It's tough though. It can be really tough because there are so many iconic characters out there. And one of the biggest problems that I've seen is comic book, uh, fans like to compare. Yeah. You know, and this is just like He-Man or whatever, and it's <laughs> it's it sucks, but it does happen. So you got to be careful when you when you create and things to do some research and and look at if you if you have a, a character like uh, Batman, uh, look look into Batman and 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 similar characters to Batman before you just throw a book out there because they will eat you alive. Yeah, there, there's no joke. There was a, a situation. Where the character of the Cardinal with app in the early Apogee days, um, somebody had written a story called the Cardinal. We had to change the title. He was trying to change the look 
wanted to sue us over the name of the Cardinal, which I don't think is even, uh, you know, it's a bird. <laughs> I don't know if you could do that. Um, but you know, it, you gotta be careful with, with everything you do and, and do that's, I, I, I'm gonna say it again, research, do your research. Research is so important when it comes to any kind of writing. Yeah. That, that was an interesting development after, uh, I'm pretty sure that was not too long after I had you on the show yeah. last time and everyone was kind of excited and there was some buzz about the Cardinal. And then the next thing I heard was like, we don't know. Someone's coming after us. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it Oh was, my God. It, it was around this time last year. And, <laughs> and the guy was like trying to negotiate us being able to use it. And I remember Nick going through different character designs and, and I was like, let's consult a lawyer and <laughs> just, just nip the, you know, nip it in the bud and let's figure out what we can do, what we can't do. And all we did was we changed the title and characters stayed the same. The name stayed the same. The costumes are the same. And, and, uh, we ran a, a really successful Kickstarter and never heard from the guy again. So I was impressed by that because it did seem like that dude was out for blood because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was kind of following the thing along with, uh, with great interest really. And, and it just seemed like, you guys had name change, little little costume change here and there, and uh, that was that. So I thought it was pretty well handled. Yeah, it it was. I mean, uh, the guy the guy's been working on the comic for X amount of years, and it's an anti bully comic, which I totally respect. But right, he was he was kind of bully trying to bully us. It was sort and, of an ironic, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, in in the messages he sent us were kind of nasty, so it was kind of ironic. Yeah, oh, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> So something you've gotten to do in recent years is start to edit uh, from uh, not just your own work, but, you know, edit uh, things coming in from talent at various companies. And I've, I've sort of kept up with you during this process and <laughs> it, it's, it's a cool thing. And you say that like, you've had nothing but basically positive things to say about the people you edit. So none of this should be taken one way or the other. I'm just curious about when you're editing, like what sort of things pop up, not as red flags necessarily, but when you're looking at stories and characters and things like that, what things kind of pop up that you go like, let's take a closer look at this. Let's massage this a little bit. Um, what, what sort of things do you look out for? Well, I've read a lot of comics yeah. in my day and, and I look for, so like I said before, characters are based on, I mean, not based characters are often compared to other characters. So I try to steer, characters away from certain characters uh, in attitude yeah uh and dialogue uh but some of the some of the red flags that pop up are pacing and you can like tell when something's starting to drag or if there's too much dialogue where there doesn't need to be as much dialogue there was one comic i edited that it was uh an issue two where these two people were arguing for about eight pages and i trimmed it down to a page and a half and had to actually add more to the book and it just, it was, it was just, I don't know how to say it without being mean. It was nonsense. <laughs> it just, it, it was, they were droning on, on back and forth in each panel and each page. It was just pictures of these people back and forth. It's like, you could, I, I could fix this. And, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's part of it's knowing how to lay out a, a comic book page. And, and all I did was put one person on one side of the page and one person on the other page, word bubbles in the middle of the complete argument and then added on to the story. Right. And that right there, just reading that as, in a script, like I do get excited when I read scripts and, and you know, can visualize what's going to happen. That one, I was dreading the next page. And 
I, I, I totally look for things that drag a book out. And if it doesn't excite me, which every comic should not be exciting, but it should have a little something in there to, to, to keep you reading. And, and if it starts getting to where it's dull or it feels like you can tell sometimes when a writer maybe loses steam for a bit. Yeah. I look for things like that. And then I look for generic, <laughs> I look for generic, um, dialogue and which is, there's, I mean, I, I'm maybe super judgy on this, but I see a lot of generic wording in comics and I try to stay away from that Yeah, because you know, it's like this ends now can only be said so many times. <laughs> You know, let's let's try to change the way that's said. You know, I mean, yeah. say the same thing, deliver the same message, but use different words. And you know, I don't know. There's there's not really one thing to red flag. There's it's, it's a bunch of things because each script is different, each part of the story is different. You know, it's just a lot of dialogue stuff. But those were several good ones. I mean, uh, thinking more generically oh. in terms of scenes. You can tell when so, when sort of your process maybe inflicted itself on the pacing a little bit, and and that's worth worth looking at because every word has to count and every phrase needs to do something. So I mean that's worth looking at. One other thing is uh, uh, the amount of panels on a page. Um, if there's like more than nine, that's too many. And if there's a lot of dialogue, so like at the top of what my writers, <laughs> I have them put page number and how many panels are on the on the page and if i see anything over nine i'm like that's a huge that's an actual red flag especially if i see there's 12 lines of dialogue in there because that's just not going to work because you know if it's two people talking that can be broken up into a couple panels not nine you know (laughs) and i've seen I, i have seen that quite a bit and and you know panel layout is is super important when it comes to to comic book writing and reading and nine panels, 10 panels is just too much. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think how to translate that to game development, but storyboarding, uh, is, would probably reveal the same problems with pacing. Well, it's it's just, it's just like camera angles. As far as, um, as panels go, if you ask me, it's like in a movie, it's, they usually, it's a shot from one side to the other side of two people talking, but sometimes it could be like a long shot yeah. And you could see both characters arguing. And that's kind of what I would do if it's going to be a lengthy discussion. I would pull the camera back and see both of them and have the word bubbles, you know, somewhere around there. I wouldn't keep flashing back and forth unless they were showing a lot of emotion. You know, that's the only way it's okay to show multiple panels of the same people in the middle of a conversation. If they're like, you know, upset and there's grief or, or happiness or whatever. That's the only way I think it's okay is if they're having a conversation and your emotion changes. But if they're constantly arguing back and forth, there's no reason to, to keep showing their face yelling. You know? Yeah. That's another interesting place to study to, to sort of give yourself a little boost is actual like filmmaking and, you know, director of photography, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably really pick up some super valuable stuff that probably isn't present often enough in games. RDR2, it's probably got a, a bunch of like really well shot uh, dialogues and stuff like that. But if you look at, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something on the, on the indie side or on the lesser pro industry, it's, it's probably somewhere people could benefit from that. Yeah. And sometimes it goes back to just, uh, studying film, just films. I yeah. mean, you know, that's something that I've learned a lot from not going to lie is watching films with commentary and, oh, yeah. uh, 
John Carpenter, you know, the director of Halloween and the thing and all these other great movies, uh, listening to him talk, him, he talks about process and listening to him talk makes me think I could direct a movie <laughs> because he, he almost takes you to school. And, but the thing is it helps out in camera placement for a panel, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he gives why, reason why he put the camera pointed in that direction at that angle you know, and it's like, well, that would make a dynamic shot in a comic. And it could be the same thing with a video game, you know. I mean, there are a lot of cases in RDR2, for instance, uh, where it's tight on Arthur's face, which it, it, that's fine, I guess. But there's a uh, every now and again, Arthur will be talking to somebody and it'll be, you know, it'll like change the, 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 uh, the, the camera angle. It'll be Arthur, you know, close up face and then it'll go back. Ar- I mean, that's perfect. That's almost a perfect game. Have you played all the way through that yet? No, not yet. Oof. I know. Mm. <laughs> Tears will flow. Will flow. Oh. <laughs> I, I, simultaneously, I'm thinking about how bad some of this is in Grand Theft Auto, where like <laughs> you'll be having a conversation with somebody, and this is like during the story, and like a bus will pull up and park between you, <laughs> or something like something completely yeah. stupid, you know, and it just completely takes you out of the experience. As funny as it is, that's one way they they avoid that with uh, mostly the cutscenes, but there are, you know, with RDR, it's so open and it's country and there's not too many loud noises. I mean, of course you could be talking to somebody on the side of the road and, you know, uh, a horse and buggy come by or something like that, but it's nothing compared to like a bus just showing up and ruining a whole conversation. <laughs> Driving between I, you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even play Grand Theft Auto after playing the first Red Dead anymore. Like Grand Theft Auto used to be like, the game, yeah. you know, like PS2, Xbox, and then uh, when Red Dead came out, the Red Dead Redemption in 2010, it was, I was done with our uh, with Grand Theft. <laughs> there's no more of that because this is this is the this is the pinnacle of all gaming. There's nothing like it. That that is for sure. No, absolutely not. So uh, to bring it home, let's talk a little bit about Unparalleled. Uh, tell me where you guys are at, what you're doing, uh, at least in terms of what we can look forward to. Yeah. So. There's a lot of a lot of stuff in flux because Jay is meticulous and it's a good thing. He's really worried about dynamic design, which is a good thing to be worried about, you know, because you want that's one of the things about comic book design is you want to have you want to be you want to have a dynamic looking book. Mm-hmm. And and so he's working his butt off on a six page short uh, for Stellar Odyssey, which is the space opera. Uh, which there's two titles from that coming out. It's, it's the Vagabond Blues and then the Knights of Belterra, which I'm writing. Nice. So he's writing a uh, six-page. It's going to be available on Free Comic Book Day. He's he's working on uh, a book called Dragonfly, which was an Apogee title, but Jay owns the character, so we brought it along over here. So we're going to do a Kickstarter at some point, I'd say March maybe, and we're hoping to only do one. But uh, it's going to be the Dragonfly book, March or April, I can't remember exactly. I think it's mm-hmm. April. But it's going to be Dragonfly number one, which I wrote, and then uh, Operation Eclipse, which is the book that you uh, once edited years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's that's coming, you know, this spring. And then, excuse me, like I said, Free Comic Book Day, we're going to have uh, the Stellar Odyssey one shot, six pages, <laughs> throw a couple posters in there. Hopefully, uh, and I'm writing another six six page one shot that will hopefully be out this summer. Not hopefully, it, it will be out this summer. I, I say hopefully quite a bit. 
<laughs> but uh, it's it's kind of like one of those words that you just say. So it'll be out this summer. That will kickstart the Knights of Belaterra story, which will roll into that uh, for this fall. I don't know what we're gonna do if we're gonna do a Kickstarter for that or not. I don't. I, we don't. We want to stay away from Kickstarter mm-hmm. as much as possible. So the hope is to do this Kickstarter, get it, get our name out there, get some books out there, and and just keep rolling on other comics. Yeah. Because we want we want to. That's all we want to do is create comics. We're not trying to make a bunch of money or be somebody's competition or anything like that. We just want to make comics and, and enjoy it. And that's, that's the goal. And I, uh, it looks like you guys are headed towards a great start. Uh, as this thing sort of builds and grows, do you see yourself, I mean, do you want to continue to do all the same amount of writing that you've always done? Or, you know, do you see yourself, uh, sort of coordinating the rest of the company? Well, I'm with, uh, with the two books I mentioned, Operation Eclipse and, uh, Knights of Belterra. I'm going to continue to write those. So uh, it depends on how often they come out. But yeah, we've already got scripts for Dragonfly number two, three, and four, uh, written by Brian Hawkins, who I mentioned before, a talented mm-hmm. dude. Um, so yeah, I mean, once and somebody else is going to write Vagabond Blues, so I, I'm going to try to stick to the two stories that I've been wanting to do. Eventually, I'd like to do. Uh, a couple other things, uh, you know, I've got a horror comic called remember the darkest days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got that. I'd like to eventually, uh, get going something called zero nation. I'd like to do, uh, which, which is, uh, basically like a six issue short, you know, 120 pages or something like that. Uh, and then there's another one I'd like to do, uh, called overrun, which is, a it's kind of a zombie type apocalypse book, which, I don't know if that'll ever get done, but there's there's a few things I'd like to do. I mean, you know, if I'm not writing comics, I'm writing for the horror side, and if I'm not doing that, I'm playing video games. <laughs> That's what I do. You know, I, I like writing. I, I I do it really fast, so you know, there's always room for more. I love I love to do it. Yeah, and you've come so far. You've come a long way. You've learned a ton. And you've basically moved heaven and earth to give yourself this chance to do these things. So I know it's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not a pro or anything, but my first two did print this year. There's yeah. the Phantom Hawk number one and the Crimson Guardians number one, which you have a copy. I do. Of. Do you have this one? No, I'll have to bring this to our next uh, Chuck Wagon Rendezvous. Awesome. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to do a live show from the Chuck Wagon. That would be the best day ever. <laughs> How awesome would that be? I mean, it's already the best day ever when we go to Chuck Wagon. And Chuck Wagon just got free publicity. So. Yeah. I'm not sorry at all. They deserve every no. bit. <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> well, how can people find you around the web? Well, on Twitter, it's Unparalleled Now. Yeah, Facebook, it's uh, just Facebook. Look up Unparalleled Comics. You can find me, Razor underscore 33 on twitter i do a lot on instagram lately it's uh razor 33 on instagram that's about that's about it for all that stuff except for uh the horror stuff nobody cares about that (laughs) but that's that's enough for sure and uh people can come check it out and uh, we will look forward to some of these great upcoming books especially at free comic book day when hopefully i'll be able to get back to uh, my favorite store and check things out. Yeah, we'll be. I've already talked to uh, the manager at the store in Belleville, the fantasy books in Belleville. We should be there uh, on Free Comic Book Day. Me, Jay, signing free comics, and may have some posters. You know, whatever. Sounds. It's gonna be. Last year we did it. It was so much fun. It was. That was actually a 
bucket list check off last year. Always want to do a free comic book day and sign comics and meet people. It was cool. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks a ton for sitting in and uh, I'm sure we'll check in again soon. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again to my friend Ray Merrick. He's been a buddy of mine for many years and he's always a lot of fun to talk to. So follow Unparalleled Comics on social media, Facebook, anywhere you can find them and look forward to their comic books coming up very soon. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe to us at iTunes, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are distributed other than SoundCloud. You can catch us on social media. You can follow the action at CodeWritePlay.com and let us know how you enjoy the show and uh, what topics are on your mind, what you'd like to hear about. We'll bring you more fun stuff. And until then, my name's Todd Mitchell for CodeWritePlay.com. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you guys next time.